0: Everyone welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh.
1: Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. That was a sweet opening. This
0: is our 301st episode. Oh my god. Thank We're you. We're still doing this. To everyone for listening along to this, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. For so long, we had a wild live Dragon Talk in celebration, and you might have been able to listen to that, and I hope you did, because it made me cry.
1: Um, those were some amazing messages from some of our uh, past guests on Dragon Talk, and yes. I was not expecting that, nor was I expecting to be that emotional about Um, Hearing what people had to say about Dragon Talk and about about us, I know. Like we just do this, and we don't realize necessarily that it you know it helps people. It's we're really helping to elevate these wonderful uh, creators and showing off the the great work that they're doing. And I just it was very very special.
0: It was very special. So thank you to everybody who tuned in and who was able to listen to that and to all of our guests and uh, production folks who have put this show together for so long. Um, It's just really heartfelt. And everyone who I've, I I, I talked to Bob Salvatore uh, a couple of days ago uh, and he was like, ah, yeah, no problem. It was easy. I'm so glad. Ah, And I was like, oh, Bob, you said that in the message and you're saying it now. And I liked it. It was so sweet. He's so great. He is so great. Love them. Um, And, you know, the, the D&D show must go on. We've got more and more fun stuff to talk about here on this episode of Dragon Talk. We uh, get to speak to Violet Fermin and Mike Olson. You may not recognize those names, but you recognize perhaps the show Young Sheldon, and they are two... Uh, Ad- Adventurers League veterans from the L.A. area who were wonderful consultants on the Dungeons & Dragons uh, episode of Young Sheldon that re- uh, was up there recently. And it's really great to kind of hear their story about, uh, you know, g- g- growing up in the L.A. area, going to game stores that I've been in, uh, in, in Pasadena, um, and how they got kind of stumbled into this, uh, you know, uh, consulting on this show.
1: That's really cool. That's just, um, just you know, kind of a cool bullet on your resume. Yeah. What?
0: I think uh, Mike even donated some props uh, that were used in the in the show, the filming of the show. Like, just such wonderful. What? A, it's a, a very Hollywood story, right? It is.
1: It really is. And I think the more that we see D and D being depicted on these mainstream television shows. Violet and Mike may have a real career here. A little nice little side hustle consulting nice. on uh, showing D&D in the best possible way. And we kind of joke with Mike about renting out his, his extensive D&D collection.
0: Exactly. I can't wait. So, so yeah. stay tuned for that interview. Uh, and we have also some fun things to talk about. Uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight is coming soon. How will I find out
1: more about that?
0: Well, you can find out more at D&D Live, which is July 16th and 17th. And we're happy to announce last week one amazing cast with several amazing people around it, dungeon mastered by one of my favorite people and a longtime friend of the show, Kate Welch. Okay. I am so excited, number one. Number
1: two, love Kate. Number three... That table is, to quote Quinn, sick.
0: Sick.
1: That is sick. Yeah. It's bro. one of those
0: ones that just like keeps yeah, uh, that name and that name and that name. What?
1: Jack Black? Jack Black? What? Jay and Silent Bob? Jay and Silent Bob <laughs> are playing D&D
0: together with... Lauren Lapkus, who is one of yes. my favorite improvisers, I've known her since listening to comedy Bang Bang for years and years and years. But she's appeared on, you know, uh, countless sitcoms, and TV shows. Orange is the shows. New Black. Orange. Remember she's on that? Orange is
1: the New Black. Yeah, she was the the guard, like the really sweet, oh, innocent like, right. guard.
0: Yeah, I have forgotten that. But that, yep. she's she's one of those uh, uh, bit act, well not bit actors, but like you know people that you see are like, oh my god, oh I see, yeah, I, yeah, I've seen, you know they're in so many different amazing uh, roles.
1: Very familiar.
0: Um, and then, of course, the return of Reggie Watts. He played in the Comedians game uh, during D&D Live last year. Uh, and he comes back, and I can't. I really hope he's got a, a falsetto British accent again.
1: Okay, but I just also just love that, that he's coming back. Yeah. How exciting.
0: I know. And oh. we've got one more special guest who uh, has already played and perhaps might be the most veteran D&D player out of this entire group. What I know, but I can't reveal it just yet. We'll reveal it. Uh, I didn't in July. know
1: that tidbit. I know. I know. Yeah, huh. most
0: experienced D anD D player there, and they're going to come in and
1: blow it up. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's just one of the amazing okay. things that's happening at D anD D Live on July sixteenth and seventeenth. We have more uh, fun groups of people playing Dungeons and Dragons, as well as tons of interstitial and panel content about new products. One of which was the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I can't wait.
1: I would learn like to find that. out We're more. We're going to learn
0: more about Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos. Yes. It is chaotic.
1: And maybe some other things.
0: And maybe some other things, including blah, 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 blah. And blah, 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 blue.
1: Oh, I am so excited to hear about blah, 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 blah. And Adventures uh, in the
0: Forgotten Realms.
1: <gasps> Definitely.
0: Yeah, because it will be. It's a Magic the Gathering set that will be coming out um, in July, July twenty second. Uh, you'll hear way more about it right around, uh, you know, July sixteenth and seventeenth. Maybe even they'll open up some packs on the air.
1: Uh, do you know what else you'll find out at D and D Live? What's that? Who our ten finalists are for the very first ever Dungeon Master Challenge?
0: Whoa. I didn't realize that ten yeah, finalists are going to be announced. That's where they're going
1: to be announced. Sweet. Your ten finalists after uh, the open submission period, which has come and gone at this point. Right. So our uh, p- panel of, of screeners are sifting through those entries right now, and we will announce the ten finalists
0: at D and D Live. Sweet. Are they going to get? And then we'll have uh, hopefully some programming. Around what their challenges are going to end up being, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you will Leading know.
0: Leading up to D and D celebration,
1: Yep, yep, where we'll crown the
0: winner. Right, that's yeah. uh, September twenty second, correct?
1: Twenty fourth through twenty sixth.
0: Yeah, they're I'll get those dates down. One of these yeah, days. Yeah,
1: yeah, just a little, just a few days after uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight releases. I know. So, um, and then the, f- I'm not. I mean. Also at Dandy Live, there's something really cool that I've been working really hard on for many, many months. That shall be shall be known.
0: Shall be known. It may involve nope. um, no, 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 no peanut butter. Stop. Maybe Beep. some other Beep. type Beep. of candy. Not sure. Stop. Very, I, I don't think anybody heard me.
1: Deodorant. <laughs> deodorant. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> looking around at <as> things, right? <laughs> <random>. House plants. <laughs>
0: Do I need to do I need to wear deodorant, Shelley? Is that uh, what you're to tell me?
1: No, but I
0: might. Uh-huh. Reading it's valid. glasses. It's getting hot. Blue blockers. It's getting hot in here.
1: Ooh, okay. Anyway, right.
0: onward. Yeah, that's all the fun stuff uh, that is coming up. But you should all be checking out Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft if you can. With there's some scary monsters as well as creativity <laughs> abounded <laughs> for the domains of dread.
1: There's some scary monsters.
0: There's some scary monsters. Uh, and uh, that's always exciting. We've been seeing lots of people uh, talking about it, both in Discord, the official Dungeons and Dragons Discord, as well as on Twitter about uh, their fun adventures or misadventures. Uh, and one w- great way to get in touch with uh, what's happening in Ravenloft is watching the Black Dice Society. Oh, yeah. Um, on uh, YouTube and, and Twitch. Yeah. Also, if you
1: want to just see some real good dungeon mastering,
0: be Dave, mm-hmm. man. Jeez. He's inspiring in really many, many is. ways. Yeah. He's yeah. a fighter mage thief cleric. <laughs> That's a little preview for my book, for our book that we're writing. That's my essay.
1: Really? Did you just give us a reading?
0: I I just gave you at least (laughs) a uh, a, a, a tidbit for what's to come. I think I do refer to B-Dave as a fighter, mage, thief, lyric.
1: Well, and also, spoiler, B-Dave is in the book. That's one of the essays. How could he not?
0: How could he not be? Exactly. For sure. And we'll have even more fun things to announce around B-Dave. Upcoming. Yeah. Coming.
1: We Stay tuned.
0: All right. But for now, before we get to our interview, we want to find out more about dungeon mastering. Don't we, Shelley?
1: Oh, I had a really amazing uh how to be a DM segment with Connie Ching, who you may remember as the dungeon master for Transplanar RPG. Uh we had that wonderful cast on Dragon Talk. Yeah. Um a, a great interview. And uh, I just really liked Connie and uh, felt very inspired by their DMing style uh, and did a little research and found that uh, Connie does, in fact, like to talk about things that I, I thought would be really interesting for this audience. In particular, creating villains with complex motivations and backstories. Ooh. I know, right? That's I really, really important. you know, I love the villains. So yeah. uh, it's it's a really inspiring chat. So take a listen, be inspired. Right. Cue it up. Hey everyone, welcome to How to Be a DM. I have a very very special guest. This is. Connie Chang, who is the Dungeon Master for the all-transgender D&D stream Transplaner RPG. Connie is also a TTRPG culture writer and a game designer. And you may remember talking to Connie because we had the whole cast of Transplaner RPG on Dragon Talk not too long ago. And honestly, Connie, it was one of the most well-orchestrated interviews we've ever had. I remember (laughs) everybody was so prepared, was so on point and just so gracious. The fact that we had like, you know, five or six people on the stream at the same time. And I don't know if it's true, but as the dungeon master, I'm going to give you all that credit because... (laughs) You're used to wrangling and organizing and prepping. So, true or not, let's just say it is.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you. I will take credit even if it's not due to me. So, (laughs) thank you for that, Shelly.
1: Wonderful cast, for sure, though. And um, ever since that interview, I have been very inspired by you and um, always thought, like, if I was going to grow up to be a dungeon master one day, I want to I want to be like Connie. Aww. You have some really cool ideas. And Thank you. Uh there was a number of topics that I think um you would have been well versed to discuss. But you and I have settled on um one that is very exciting to me and that is about creating complex villains or or villains with complex motivations because mm-hmm. you got to have like Gotta have the reason. Like I gotta know what's going on there. And as somebody who I I love the the villains. I almost mm-hmm. always root for a villain in a movie. And maybe that's because somebody behind the scenes gave that villain complex motivations. And it's just not that cut and dry. I don't know.
2: But listen, Shelley, I'm always saying hashtag Magneto was right. So <laughs> I think we're on the same page.
1: Here. <laughs> I saw something in you. That's
2: that's what it is. So I don't know, as a
1: dungeon master, tell us why, why do we need complex villains? Why not just like say, here's the bad guy, go get him.
2: Yeah. So I think, so this is a topic very near and dear to my heart. Um, you know what? Let's just go out of the gate swinging. Let's do it. All right. All right. Someone who is, you know, queer and trans, you know, uh, and uh, Chinese American, and I think, you know, marginalized in more ways than one. Uh in a lot of ways, when I see villains in action, not just in like D&D campaigns and other tabletop games, but also like in all forms of media, books, films, TV shows, um, historically, it's always been representations of people who look like me or who have, who lead lives like me that are villainized, right? Like, for example, let's take classic Disney villains, right? Like Jafar, he's, you yeah, know, he seems a little, <laughs> Hello, Fruity. Right. We look at like <laughs> Ursula and like the inspirations for that, like coming from like drag culture, right? Yeah. Like there's a reason why so many people say like queer coded villains, etc. Um, and like looking at like also more like uh racially coded villains, right, in animation history and and elsewhere. So I think, you know. This is a sentence that might resonate with a lot of, you know, queer and trans people and people of color. You know, when we say that we've, you know, I see myself in a lot of people who have been characters who have been historically portrayed as villainous. So as a starting point, right, uh, why is having complex villains uh important? I think we need to trouble what it means to be a villain in the first place. Right. Uh the most obvious answer to that question is because I think it makes a campaign more interesting. Because uh, if you just sort of have like a, a bandit villain who's like, I just like burden villages to the ground, <laughs> uh, that gives your PCs a very clear bad guy to just kill. Right. And boom, that's like the way to solve that problem. Right. You just arrow to the face. Boom, you're done. You save the village. Everyone loves your PCs You move on to the next village to save. Right. Uh, but if the bandit you know captain is there actually you know sure like racketeering but is actually genuinely protecting that village from an even greater threat right by removing that villain you've actually made that community that you thought was you were helping even more vulnerable right so i think when a lot of players are interested in exploring the consequences of their actions we can do that through having villains be more than what they appear on the surface um I'm also just a fan of throwing my... PCs into moral conundrums uh, and complex villains are a perfect way to do that right Uh, when you give players pause and have them go wait a minute like wait this person's actually kind of making sense in their monologue like yes why is the king like raising taxes on like the peasantry like yes why are the knights you know being kind of like mean to everyone here and like exploiting folks around just because they're knights right like maybe this like ragtag revolutionary group uh, that we thought were just like an evil thieves guild kind of you know is making some logical sense right um so that is those are like the various approaches and the various reasons why having interesting villains is important to me as a starting off point
1: it sounds yes and i agree when when you're saying like oh this is just like the bandit the the stereotypical bad guy like go after him it's not it it doesn't do much for the story for sure Mm -hmm. um so having maybe a more fleshed out villain uh for lack of a better word maybe they're not Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not all bad um, is a great story hook and yes um, so how like when you're prepping when you're creating these villains and do you have like a like a catalogue of villains that you like to call upon, or do, are you just thinking of like here's the story I want to tell, what kind of character is going to help move that forward like how, how do you how do you craft your villains
2: ooh that's a really great question. I I have several starting points for crafting my villains. Uh, I like to say that my campaigns are villain driven, uh, which means that it's, it's villain based drama, right? So I usually don't like to do things that, you know, are related to like, oh, a famine, right, has swept the land or like uh, something like, uh, where there's like a third party or, uh, an, I guess an inevitable like force, right? That couldn't have been stopped even if the PCs wanted to, right? Because you can't exactly stop, stop a famine, uh, Uh, especially if that's like the the thing that your your party's trying to solve um so my starting off point is is the villain the villain is the story right for me um to use an example from transplanar rpg's current arc arc three there is a villain in this arc who is uh i have very specifically designed to be a foil of one of the player characters uh Whoa. I asked all of my players to DM me like their character's deepest flaws uh, which we're going to explore in sort of like this like twisted uh, psychic messed up reality warping carnival that they're trying to stop as D&D you know does um and this character this particular PC's flaw uh that my player sent in was that like they don't deal with their problems right like they do all sorts they do anything and everything uh to not confront their issues right they are very like super, super into negative coping mechanisms, right? Whether it's drink or women, you know, or like, just like throwing themselves headfirst into danger, acting impulsively, right? Like that being angry, that all comes from a space of like, I have this immense trauma that I built up in my backstory uh, that my character is unwilling or unable or unequipped to deal with in like a genuine way, right? Uh So this villain uh, that I've set up as like very much clearly, like definitely like a villain, like of this arc, is also kind of like that. Like, not to, not to, like, give away too many things, but they also don't deal with their problems, right? And because of that, it comes out in a lot more of a, uh, let's say, evil way, right? They don't shy away from murdering other people uh, like our party might. Um, but, the, you know, the, if I try to set up a confrontation between this villain and this particular player character or this player character might be like, why are you doing all these things? Like, you're so evil. Like, you know, like, why? Why can't you be good? Like, why are you just killing people for the fun of it? And they're like, well, I don't want to deal with my problems. And these people make me think of my problems. So I just get rid of them. Aren't you the same oh. in like a sense? Don't you just drink it away or just gamble it away or just fight monsters so you don't have to fight what you actually hate, which is yourself? you know, and to like invite that player character into their evilness, quote unquote, right? right? Like everyone wants to be good, but it's so much more fun and so much more freeing and so much more rewarding to just be bad. So what if people say you're bad? I lean into it. I embrace it, you know, Uh, and having villains that are foils of my PCs, I think sets up Plenty of dramatically rife opportunities for the PCs to be like, wait, wait, wait. If I continue down this path, I might become them. Or like something about that villain resonates with my players or resonates with their characters uh, in a way beyond just bandit king killing people, you know, uh, which is kind of shallow.
1: So how do you you pace the introduction of these villains? Are they... Like you said, your story is kind of derived from the act the villain. Do they show up immediately? And does do the PCs know that this is this is trouble? This person's not on the up and up. And like how I imagine that you probably have a, a pretty deep backstory for these villains. And like how do you how do you <laughs> sprinkle it into the story? Like what's the pacing like
2: for that? That is such a great question. Um I like to vary up how I introduce my villains because there is a time and a place for a dramatic cold open, right? Where you just bam, yeah. drop the villain in, you have them kick, you know, the party's butt and boom, you like have them fly away. And the party's like, who the heck was that? Now we got it. <laughs> we got to get our revenge. Cause they humiliated us. That's definitely one way to introduce a villain. Um, a way that I've been experimenting with with this particular arc for Transplaner, which I've really, really liked experimenting with is I drop in little hints. Okay. You know, I jump in, like, I sprinkle a little breadcrumbs, little clues. It starts with uh, this villain actually has planted pranks uh, in the current basically motel that my PCs are staying at and they trigger these trap glyphs that upon like first like investigation check they think are like fireball glyphs that will like blow them up right but upon like deeper investigation they realize that it's not actually dangerous so they trigger these traps and it's just poof like an explosion and like an illusion and a projected image of the villain like lounging on like a chaise lounge eating grapes being like "Ah, oh, gotcha and they disappear in like a puff of smoke which is like a weird and interesting way to introduce a character in the first place I think and that like annoying the party and it made them interested in knowing who this character was later on and then i upped i added i layered in some depth uh by introducing this villain as a minor actor i would say in a different character's backstory right like they came up they they'd killed one of the uh other characters like mentees like from his past so like there's you know i i layered in that like level of intrigue. and then I had other NPCs talk about the villain, right? They're like, wow, we gotta be really careful, like this coming challenge, cause like that villain is the top contender. Like they're gonna be the, you know, the number one, like, candidate for winning this, like, championship, which is, um, what, uh, my, my PCs are currently entering a challenge to try to uh, stop this sinister carnival in the depths of, like, a jungle. Long, long story short, this villain is a big, like, player right and i try to set that up like a couple like sessions after they first they were first introduced to the villain through their illusions and then after all this like anticipation right was built up regarding this villain i even like gave them a dossier they opened it up and there was like the picture of the villain and like a list of like their known like you know like likes and dislikes like like their personality stuff like that like all of this was set up in advance and then we actually meet them Right. So I have to like pay that off in a big way, right? Yeah. Either like completely subvert their expectations or like blow them out of the water in some way. Like the, the moment, the scene where you actually meet the villain that you've been like building up anticipation toward, I think is critical, uh, in like shattering or paying off your players' expectations of them. Uh, so I have set up this main villain, a uh, Kane is their name, this tiefling, as well as a secondary villain, oh, Jing, okay. that I'd also introduce as like, oh, this is also a top contender for the championship, right? So your two biggest rivals slash enemies for this arc are gonna be Kane and Jing, right? So who's gonna win? Like are you gonna thwart them both? Are you gonna form allyships, pit them against each other, etc. My players are all like planning and talking. They're like, oh, how do we like work against them? And then when I introduced Kane, for the first time, it was in the middle of accepting a duel to the death from Jing. And Jing was like, you know what? Everyone here knows that we're the top contenders to win this championship. Let's just duel to the death before this contest even begins, et cetera, et cetera. And my players were like, ooh, we're like, have front row seats for like an awesome like like GM versus GM fight sequence, right? <laughs> uh, and I just straight up had Kane like obliterate Jing. Like, boom, like snap his neck. Oh, geez. Two rounds in. Like, it was completely brutal. And like, I killed off. One of the other major NPCs that I'd been building up anticipation for, as well, using this other NPC. But did you like, know that- you
1: were going to do that? Was that part uh, of your story, that- or was did that that surprised you too?
2: That surprised me as well. Oh, I always wow. knew I wanted. Yeah, I knew I wanted Kane to have a big entrance. I just didn't know how. And then it was basically handed to me on a golden platter, yep. uh, given how the party was like investigating and, and making their planning.
1: Mm, so hopefully, Jing didn't have other things to do in the story because. Uh- <laughs>
2: They were yeah, not well long for we'll this never world. know, I suppose.
1: So I guess like hearing you you talk about the villains and all, I watch a lot of reality TV. I probably shouldn't admit. Oh, that. yes. But you know what? I do. And you can get some wonderful inspiration for villains from reality TV. Because there's always a villain. But why and we always root for the villain. We hate they're like we love to hate them a hundred percent. Yes. But why do why do we like villains so much? Like what is it? What's the attraction of like, oh, I just I hate this person, but I love this person. Don't kick this person off because I need to, you know, to get my weekly villain fix. What is it about them? Is it like, are we seeing parts of ourselves in these mm. villains that they're they're able to act upon and we're not? Or is it just like watching the danger unfold, but from like a really safe distance? And I I really I don't
2: know. What do you think? (laughs) You're full of good questions. I think, for me at least, it's because villains make things interesting. Yeah. Right? Because if there weren't villains, there's no story. There's no conflict. There's nothing at stake. Exactly. Uh, And that's why complex villains, instead of just like uh, one-dimensional or surface-level villains, are particularly important and particularly interesting. Because you don't just love to hate them, right? You're just, you're also like, hold on. They're making sense, right? Like, what if, what if we're on the wrong side here? Like, why can't? Yeah. What if we join forces? Right. It opens up like a, a whole horizon of possibilities that you can't have with a villain that's just one note, right? And I think the beauty of a game like D and D is that you could go. In, it's not a video game. It's not scripted. You can go wherever you want to go, and having complex villains allows you to get there. So, have you ever had PCs join? your villain have they
1: ever manipulated the the party in, to bring them into the, their side
2: it's really interesting that you say that uh because i will say it's more like the other way like my i've had a player try to manipulate a villain Ooh. right for her own ends so one of my players erica uh, she plays this elf sorcerer v uh and even though she's an elf sorcerer erica plays her like a rogue which is fine Lots of fun, you know, always off picking locks, whatnot, not. Um, and something that our elf sorcerer has done in past arcs is ally with a clearly villainous group, right? Uh, this cult that I've set up called the Cult of the Chrysalis. Uh, Basically the premise of Transplanar is that the world is shattered, right? There's a big cataclysm and like these the gods are vanished, right? So these like cults and these organizations have popped up in the absence of this this power vacuum, claiming to worship new deadly gods that can give people their magic back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh so V, uh Erica playing V has forged an alliance with one of these cults. The cult of the Chrysalis has joined their ranks. Even like I don't know how, but she schemed her way to the top, met with their leader, right? This like dude named Adam and struck a deal with him, right? Uh, which was a really interesting way to approach a villainous group. Right. Not like, let's burn them down or like, let's fight them or like, let's report them to the proper authorities. But like, I'm going to wiggle my way in there like a little worm and try to like manipulate them from the inside. Right. So like V's journey with like first embracing the Chris of the cult, uh, the cult of the chrysalis and then trying to manipulate them to her own ends. And when that didn't exactly pan out the way she wanted it to, right, like renouncing the chrysalis and like clearly naming them as her enemy, um, makes made for such delicious role-playing right uh because now it's personal like she got screwed over personally by this yeah. villainous group because her plan uh, kind of failed it blew up in her face right uh, so now she has additional reason to try to bring the chrysalis to its knees specifically against Adam the leader of the cult who's who's definitely like a bad guy there's no there's no way around it he's he's a villain for sure well what did the party think about her forming this alliance they didn't no. She kept it from the party for like a while, right? And then when it finally, you know, became really obvious, when she finally owned up, the party was like, "Ah, classic V, right. but do you know what you're doing?" V was like, "I do. You have to trust me." And the okay. party trusted her. Okay. They they had a heart-to-heart heart about it.
1: So, who and you, with going back to your catalog of villains, who are some of your favorites that you've created and what parts of them can people mimic for their own campaigns.
2: Ooh, that's such a good question. Uh my answer is so shallow. <laughs> my first answer is so shallow because all of my villains are uh in one way or another like attractive. You know what yeah. I mean? So you can't just like throw someone who's like Clearly, just like there's nothing, there's nothing like enticing about them, right? Right. I like to have my villains be pretty or like hot or like interesting or seductive in some way uh, because then it makes not just like my players, but because we are a streamed game, like the audience go, ooh, ooh, the villain's kind of interesting though. Wait, can we linger on them, et cetera? Uh, And maybe even subconsciously, it makes the party not want to kill them immediately. Yeah. I Um, mean, I
1: think like biologically, we're just more inclined to like, just allow ourselves to be manipulated by a pretty face. <laughs> I know, right, 100%. Uh,
2: so that's my first bad piece of advice, which is make your villains pretty. Uh, my second actual piece of advice is, I'm going to think of three main villains that our party has encountered so far that haven't been, like, brainless monsters, right? The first one would be Adam, a uh, leader of the Chrysalis. Another one would be Sievert, uh, who is an ex-lover from V's, past a dragonborn man who works with a thieves guild uh and there's a lot of is just hates v and is a horrible man right uh there's kane of course and there is also dr ting who is the head researcher of this like shadowy like research organization right that they that my party like interrogated like arc two right Uh, and all four of them are distinct from each other uh in the most surface level way in terms of personality right i play them all differently uh kane is self assured performative loves attention basks in it like rel is kind of a sadist right like relishes in pain right like but it like kind of talks like this and like loves like loves it when like people like clap and cheer for them mm-hmm. sievert is sort of like down here he's like growly right he's like really staunch but he's also like ruggedly like attractive and handsome in a certain way and he's very much like a hashtag like male manipulator uh, manipulator you know i mean like if you were like a modern man and not like a white dragonborn he would be like a club promoter probably <laughs> uh, I'm very much playing him as like a dark darkly charismatic like growly aggressive man um adam is a smooth talker i play him like a businessman he's very pragmatic he's very logical uh, and he actually he listens right to like what v has said and what the party will say to him um, and he like turns it back and spits Ugh. back like a different proposal like, he sounds dangerous He's probably one of the most dangerous, like, of the four yeah. so far, uh, because you you never really know what he's what he's thinking, what's behind those behind those uh, uh, blue eyes. And of course, Doctor Ting, I played him as an exhausted genius, uh, so he's tired all the time, run into the ground by his research work. Genius though, because he really believes that what he's doing is for the greater good, uh, even though his research basically is ushering in an eldritch entity to take over the world as we know it question mark oh. uh, but he is like kind of darkly obsessed with it right so on top of that like tired pragmatic like research-minded logical like dr tingness there's like a dark core right he's perhaps the most unhinged of all four villains i've introduced so far And it was really fun to play even though like on the surface he looks to be the most put together Right. Uh, so those are like different, like have different personalities for each of your, uh, villains, right? You don't, you want them to feel distinct. You don't always want to play like an angry war chief, right? Because if you played an angry war chief over and over and over, they start to blend together, right? Nothing about them is really distinct. Um, so personality, have them have different personalities, have them have different drives or goals. Uh, Kane's drive is to be loved, right? Uh, and to be adored through pain right which is very different from dr ting's drive uh which is to usher in an eldritch entity to take over the world right Uh, which is very different from sievert's drive uh which is to provoke v and make her feel crappy about herself right Uh, these drives are all very different um and then to give them different flaws as well so sievert's flaw is probably his hot temper right? And the fact that he's really arrogant, while Cain's flaw is that, you know, they're full of pride, you know, and they they think they can do no wrong. Um, Adam's flaw, I don't know if we've gotten there yet, uh, but why not? I'll share it. Uh, Adam's flaw would be that he thinks that he has been given divine providence, uh, so that what he's doing is absolutely 100% correct. Dr. Ting's flaw is probably that he doesn't trust anyone around him, stuff like that. And finally, this is the funnest part in terms of mechanics for me to figure out. Um, I give them each unique abilities, a unique uh, toolkit. Uh, so Sievert's as a white dragonborn, he's got dragon breath, you know, he oh, he's always wearing a crisp suit. One of his abilities is his criminal connections. So at any point, he could like call on someone from a thieves' guild to come in and help him out, right? He could have like minions, right, who like carry out his dirty work for him, right? And he's got like a, an array of like like uh, various magical items that he's got on him at all times as well as like he's he's beholden to powers greater than himself is another ability that he has uh canes is he's like a bard you know he uses like illusion and dance magic right uh adam is like a sorcerer so he just slings spells he can like absorb magic out of the air etc so like having different abilities personalities and drives will all make your villains feel unique and distinct
1: that is incredible there are so many things now I want to talk about based on what you just said. One, I would love for you to create a how-to-make-a-villain table, like just roll for their flaw, roll for their drive, mm-hmm. roll for... How fun, because those are those are great ideas. But you touched on drive, which I'm kind of like stuck on here because I think that's really important and at the core of the villains here. The drive, is. some people might be, be confused with the mm. what's happening in the story or what their their current goal is and that the players are tasked with stopping. And that's two different things. Like what is driving them may never be a, a spoken out loud to the players, but it's just mm-hmm. got to be what you the dungeon master has exactly. in the back of your mind as you're portraying these characters because I think that mm-hmm. out of all of those the drive might be
2: it's the most the critical. Biggest. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most critical. It's their like guiding principle, right? Yeah. Which is distinct from their given goal. Yeah. And like an arc or like a session or a campaign, right? Um, and drives, I feel are very universal and they're like a perfect way for you to make your villain relatable. Yes. Or to give them that depth, right? Cause let's look at Kane's drive to be loved. We all. We right. all feel that. It's we all Now, want to be now I'm
1: feeling sympathetic because now I want to know, well, what happened to Kane? Was Kane abandoned exactly. as a child? Does Kane have a bad relationship with his family? Did, was he bullied? Like, I need to know. I
2: need to know. A hundred percent. Exactly. Right. But like the ways in which their drives manifest are so unique. Uh, they're not just useful for you as a GM role playing wise, right? Knowing how to play your character in a given scene, but also in terms of making decisions on behalf of your villain. Let's say your party's trying to parlay with them. Right. Uh, with, with your villain. Uh, and you look at like what their drives are to be loved. If your party is like appealing to that sense, if your party's like, you can join us. We'll love you. We'll give you community. Right. right. That gives, you know, m- me, like, I'm looking at my drives and I'm like, well, that does appeal. I may, I may not have to like immediately agree in character as Kane, but I might say, I might open up as Kane because they've hit on, on their drive. Right. I might open up and be like, no my parents left me at a young age or whatever, you know, like their their backstory might be. Um, That's another thing I always keep in mind when playing villains. If the players try to actually have a to heart or appeal to them, yeah. I always have my villains open up. You do. Whether okay. it's like about their plans or about like what drives them or like about like their way of thinking. I always think it's more interesting when villains share it in their like monologue uh, than versus if they're just like, no, attack, you know, because that, that doesn't, that's sort of like a, then you're rolling initiative, right?
1: Okay, so your villains, can they evolve through
2: through the story as well? A hundred percent they wow. can. And I think Sievert is the perfect example of a villain that has evolved. Uh, we meet him first in arc one. Basically, he and V fight, roll initiative. Very, you know, it was a lot of fun, but very, like, simple, I think. Like, he wanted to kick V's ass. V wanted to kick his ass. They left on, like, a draw. They They parted ways, right? And then... I've been trying to give Sievert a bit more depth. Every time I reintroduce him, I want him to feel a little bit different. He's grown. He has advanced his plans every time we see him again, right? He always wants something different from V. And he, we I always reveal a deeper part of his psyche, right? In this most recent encounter, this is probably the second or third time that V has encountered Sievert now. Um, He opened up to V, mm. well, against his will, because V was using a truth spell on him. Oh. Uh, But he revealed that he did love V genuinely in the past. You know, he revealed whom he was working for, which is V's father, dun-dun-dun, big plot twist, right? Oh, yeah. um, and he revealed a little bit more about his motivations, right? In a way that he didn't when he first met V just to kick her ass.
1: So did you know that as, did you know that that was going to be part uh, of his backstory or did you just make that split second decision? Like, yes, I have
2: always loved you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, The thing about the love, I sort of, Said what felt right yeah. in the moment. I always try to leave with my how I play and portray my villains a, a little bit of breathing room to discover things through play. Um, but the stuff, the plot relevant stuff about like working for V's father and like his goals, or, like why he wanted to talk to V again, I'd planned that way in advance. Oh, that's so cool for sure. So,
1: how much I know we kind of talked on on the prep and how much you you plan, but like when you're crafting your villains, do you already know the flaws, the drive? the goals you probably know because that's part of the story, but, like, do you... And then, like, what, do you, like, bank a few, like, plot twists in there, too? Or, like, how, how much really have you already, like,
2: rounded out of these villains? I write their drive, and I might write a flaw. Uh and I I'll have like a goal and that's it. That's it. Uh yeah, I would drop them in. That's also because I um I feel comfortable improvising. Yeah. If you as a to the GMs out there who are maybe newer or like not so much into acting, like a great way that you can help feel more confident about portraying your villains is to do a little bit more prep work in advance. Just so you have like notes to look at if you're yeah. stumped. Um, but I like to sort of like just have a few notes to guide me because I don't want to be juggling like a million flaws and a million, you know, like objectives and like a million backstory bits in my head. I just need to know like what are the three main things I need to know about this villain before I, like, drop them into an encounter with one of my PCs? Boom, okay, great. And then I just, I roll with it. So do you
1: think it's a good tactic for Dungeon Masters to weave a little, like, to intertwine the villains with your PCs' backgrounds?
2: Ooh.
1: Because I noticed because yes. you do that. It sounds like you do, I do. that a lot. Yep.
2: <laughs> yes, I do. I do it a lot. Uh so my answer is of course yes. Okay. I think it's always more interesting, especially if your players are the kind to write you like a 10 page backstory. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, pull there's so much material there to pull from. Your players have basically done all the work for you. You right. just have to sort of take what they've given you and like drop a villain from their past in, right? Like the evil orphanage owner that like was horrible to your orphan like kid, like like orphan fighter. Boom, drop her in. She's now like running for mayor of this town, right? And she has tons of popular support. What are you going to do? You know, you can't exactly fight against her openly, even though you want to, because you're a fighter, right? Uh, stuff like that. Um, and I always think it's more interesting and more compelling for the players that way too, because there's yeah. a baked in reason for them to care, right? If it relates to at least one of their backstories, that character is going to care about the villain.
1: Yeah, and that's that's important is caring, just in for any D&D game we it, 100%. you got to care you have to give yep. the players a reason to care and i think you've also touched on something else that's important is that with villains they're not just you know uh, you have to let them evolve like you're like you can create the best villain in your mind and have all of these devious plans but you've got to be open also to their evolution because the players are going to interact with them and there are there are truth serums, or there you know there are there are that's also just a good way to move your story forward. If if they open up to their players, or if maybe 100%. the players do convince them that their life of crime is is not the right path for them, it's just because mm-hmm. I I would feel I think as a new dungeon master, um, for not protective, but like like. I don't want you to change my villain. Like, this is my villain. Yeah, totally. You kind of have to let him go.
2: Agreed. And I think that also comes from a place of like, well, damn, I don't have anything planned. If you, like, change my villain, like, I don't have a story left. Uh, Which is why another tip I might have for folks is always have your villains be beholden to a bigger villain.
1: Oh, that's a good one.
2: Unless you're in the end game, Always have someone above them. So even if you change their mind, they'll be like, you're making sense, but... My boss will kill me if I don't. You know, like something like that, right? Right.
1: And then that's even more motivation for those players because now they have to protect their new friend from 100%, this bigger yes. threat. Oh, that's yes, really yes, good. Yes. It's like Russian dolls of villains. Just yes. keep. Just nope. Oh, there's another one. There's another yep. one. Okay. Yep. That's an. That is excellent. That's really good advice. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, and that. I mean. Not surprised. That's why. That's why you're here. <laughs> so this is usually the part where I say, "Tell me what I don't know." And I've already learned so much in this conversation. But there's probably—is there any other tips that you would give, or any other examples you'd want to share to illustrate this?
2: Oh boy, uh, my final thoughts. Yeah, I suppose, final thoughts uh, on the matter uh, would be: remember that your villain is always the hero of their own story. Mm right like they unless you're being like you're making like very much like a statement with the villain being like i'm bad and i like being bad that can be interesting too like your villains always think what they're doing is if not for the greater good right then for their own good right for for a reason right like i think it's so boring when villains just indulge in wanton violence for the sake of violence that has its place in a story i suppose but it grows stale after a while right and i find that the players i've gm'd at least are are hungry they're hungry for for depth right and you can give them depth by having their villains follow their own internal logic just have their methods be a little perhaps out there yeah that's amazing um all the time i i gotta go now but uh this this has been fantastic, Shelley. Um, this
1: has been amazing. I'm very inspired. I might just go uh, sit around this evening and create some villains just for funsies. Heck yeah! Please do, um, Connie. Where can people find out uh, more about you and more about transplanar RPG and all the great things that you're working on?
2: Absolutely, you can find me on Twitter and on Patreon at by Connie Chang, Uh B Y C O N N I E C H A N G. I am also on uh, Transplaner RPG at Transplaner RPG on uh, Twitter and on Twitch fantastic you're the best thank you so much for this great thank you so much for having me Shelley. I yeah. really appreciate it anytime
1: off the train <laughs> that was an impression <laughs> <laughs> that I haven't done yet, and I can't believe I've been watching. We're back on the Teen Titans bandwagon. Took yeah. a little break. That's Batarang for you. That is <laughs> off the chain.
0: That's very good.
1: I it actually is one of my better ones. Even Quinn was like, "That's really good, Mom." Oh,
0: he he doesn't dole out compliments as often as not as about as my as, you know.
1: impressions.
0: No, no, no. Well, that's good.
1: So anyway, wasn't it though? Wasn't you know, that friend, off the chain?
0: That is off the chain. <laughs> um, we, we have to get uh, our colleague Lindsay Quintana on for an insight check because I think she worked on Teen Titans uh, oh,
1: in, in, in a formal would life. Oh,
0: be a great insight check. So we want to find out more about her. But before that, it's time to jump into our interview with two of the D&D consultants for Young Sheldon. I love that that's a title. Everyone, let's welcome Violet Furman and Mike Olson to Dragon Talk! Yay! Yay! Yeah. Woo <laughs> That Hi.
2: studio
3: audience is excited yeah. for you guys. Wow. I didn't realize you guys had such a big studio audience listening to the podcast. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. guess how many people are there
0: with no, you in each of your
3: homes <laughs> They
1: Listen are to this usually live. very quiet while we're recording, but you know, they get excited at
0: that introduction.
4: Tell them thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Violet says thank you. <laughs> Woo! Woo! So
0: the two of you have long careers working for Adventurers League as well as you know various uh, tabletop RPGs out there. But both of you were consultants on an episode of Young Sheldon that had to do with Dungeons and Dragons, and so that's why the two of you are together to to here to talk about. That experience, as well as uh, all the fun stuff that you've been doing for for going anD D going forward,
4: was yeah. A good time. Mike. Is, Mike and I have actually known each other for years beforehand, um, so it wasn't like a. It was more. We came together for this, but we've been friends for a while.
0: So how did that, how did it come we, together? How did it? How did you? uh this 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 particular gig show up? Violet.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and with um, you. Um. So the uh, new owner of one of our local game stores reached out to me and a few other people. Um, they knew someone who worked on Young Sheldon and they were looking for someone who knew D&D. And so they asked if I was interested. Um, and so I said, yes, cause that's really cool. Um, but then when I sat down to talk um, with the individual in charge of like doing like props and all those kind of things, um, they explained it was D&D in, like, like early 90s. Mm. And I was born in the early 90s. <laughs> um, so I was like, you know what? I have a friend who is a little older than Old. me. Old, just a <laughs> um, Who would know uh, probably more on that, like, specifically on that era of D&D. So I reached out to Mike. Mike, you can pick it up from here.
3: So I got the call from Violet. And that's when I knew, no. Um, yeah, I had, uh, I, I thought this was very exciting because I was playing a ton of D&D in 1991. I was in college. We were playing our Lankmar Spelljammer game, game. Nice. And, uh, you know, so they were playing second edition. I was like, yes, I totally remember that was like a real formative, one of my formative uh, D&D playing experiences. So, but we were confused at first what they needed for the show. Because finally yeah. you had said they wants us to write an adventure. I was like, and it, or a campaign. Sorry, he said campaign. We're like, what Yeah,
4: what and I a, was yeah, like, TV I think you mean an adventure, not a yeah. campaign.
3: And then I was like, adventure? I don't see why. And then so we it's this emblematic of our time doing this where, where there's like a lot of confusion. Then we went, oh, I see, because we're making different assumptions about what things mean. Or yes. you know
1: it happens all the time. Happen
3: over and over again. <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, I thought it was uh, super exciting, um, and uh, I, was, uh, I was way into it. It was really – it was a lot of fun to bring – I joke that it was, like, the thing I've been training for for 40 years. Like, it was uh, <laughs> to bring this, this knowledge that normally no one cares about you using to the fore for really specific things like – that die does not belong in 1991 or they could use that book, but not that book, or it would be okay if they use that book, you know, stuff like that, like really subjective things. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty funny.
1: I um, love that. Like this seems first of all, like such an LA thing. Like,
3: like, I don't, like this does right. not
1: happen in my life. Nobody's like, Hey, we need you to consult about the real housewives on something. <laughs> like, it just doesn't. But if anyone is looking for a Real Housewives consultant, I am available. Um, but what, so what else, what did this entail? Like how long are we talking? Did this project happen? Were you on set? I love oh. that, that no, it was just like script stuff. And did you actually write an adventure for them? Would yeah. You, tell me everything.
3: So <laughs>
4: Lots of questions. Yes.
3: I know. There's so much that went on in like a, yes, a we week's time. Adventure. So much happened. And you what really we...
4: wrote an adventure. Yeah. Yes, we did. Um We wrote an adventure. Um, It was about a week or more, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, like, nine days. We did uh, read the script and kind of read it for accuracy uh, and what made sense and what didn't. Um, You should tell them about the props, Mike, and, like, what you sent.
3: Oh, they rented some of my old AD&D stuff.
4: (laughs) They rented it? Yeah, so
3: they needed some stuff. They were like, we just want some stuff on the table for when he's writing this adventure, there should be some things around. So I was like, well, I got a lot of things. I got dragon magazines and old AD and D modules and stuff. And um, so they rented some of my stuff. I was so, (laughs) we'll get to what the show actually looked like, but you can't see any of it in the show, but they rented it. And so that's the important part. Um, But uh, yeah, it was, um, uh, they also rented a, a map that I had drawn as a teenager on graph paper. It was like two pieces of graph paper taped together and I was like, let's just use this for our map because that's funny. And then I sent them the to map too. So in theory, that map was on, on set. But I got oh, hands gosh. to this. Chris oh. Vale is the prop master for the show. And he was so dedicated to keeping things as authentic and accurate yeah. as possible. It was really, it was really amazing Like how, how much he cared about it. And so they nailed it. It was, it was really great.
0: Yeah, How much I, were those rentals for? That's what I want to know. How, Greg,
3: Greg's I mean, taking a tally of all kind of, his old deals. Kind of an L.A. But... thing we wouldn't really talk about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only a Seattle person would ask that yeah. question.
3: <laughs> I feel Seattle news.
0: You're still getting residuals on that, right? For each time the oh, episode I'm airs, you'll get one cent. Getting the zids?
3: That'd be great.
1: <laughs> I mean, again, a very L.A. thing. Like You could probably like just have a listing of like, I got I got some vintage D and D stuff ready. A yeah. whole lot, ready to go to rent for your set. Because D I and mean, D does pop up resume. in a lot. <laughs> it should. <laughs> it's very impressive. So I I love that they had they wanted such attention to detail. Uh what kind of notes did you give them in the script? Like was there anything that was like, nah, this never would have They would never would say something like this in the
3: 90s. We should
4: tell them about the, what was it?
3: Sorcerer. Sorcerer. Yeah. So there's only the thing about this episode. There's only a few scenes where they are talking about or playing D and D. It's not like a major feature. It's kind of like a, a metaphorical thing that lets the characters, you know, grow or whatever, but it's not like the show is about this. It's not like that episode of freaks and geeks or community where they're, you know, or it crowd where they're playing D and D. Um, so there really wasn't that much in the script, um, but uh, there was one bit where uh, Sheldon is, he, he has a bunch of pre-gen characters, which were like, okay, that's reasonable. He spent a lot of time to make this adventure for his friends. Let's say he also made characters. That's, that sounds like this guy. I, I, I can buy that. But he's going through the classes, the different classes there, and one of them was Sorcerer and uh, said, we didn't have Sorcerer in 1991. <gasps> that, was that wasn't a thing yet. Um, not until third edition was there a class called the sorcerer maybe in a dragon magazine or you know but like come on it's it's not come on not not a thing <laughs> so they really pushed back on that they were like but sorcerer sounds cool I'm like but the name oh. of the class <clears throat> would have been mage in second edition
4: and, and like, but, but chris, chris was like chris was on our side though i feel like he yeah. was he was he was like pushing for it but like the writing team thought sorcerer sounded like more mystical and cool i guess because well, i had to react easy. it
3: with like yeah sorcerer that's what i want to be and they, they said no one's gonna say yeah mage that's what i want to be it doesn't sound as exciting
4: and i so, think you suggested wizard right yeah
3: so we we're like okay look you could be wizard there's specialist wizards you could be a wizard that's that's fine so they went with we we're that was the one thing we're we we're uh talking back and forth on messenger about this while watching the episode <laughs> like oh, oh they did it they actually because <laughs> they
4: they didn't tell us like chris did not tell us that yeah. they actually acquiesced to that like mm. the conversation left off with the they're, they're they really want sorcerer so we were like okay well and then we were watching it live and then i was like they changed it
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> They listened. that's rare yeah. yeah.
4: Well they obviously like say, don't they, they know they our cared.
1: community though. I'm they they you would not have been the only person to call out that they're that's sorcerers and that's what they said. Edition. That's what
3: Chris said. Like I don't wanna I don't want anyone mad about this if we get something wrong. I want anyone who watched it who is familiar with it to like accept that this is all like makes sense and was real and everything. And uh I really appreciate because they didn't have to do that. Come no. on. Like they they just didn't. But I, I thought it was very cool that uh, that they did. The same with the adventure, talking about writing a campaign. I was confused at first because Violet said, we have to write an adventure. Then I talked to Chris, and I was like, so what's the deal? And I came away with it thinking, okay, we don't have to write an adventure. We just have to review the script. But he wanted an actual adventure for the actors to have there, like a physical artifact to reference and have a, a prop to look at, basically. Right? He's the props guy. So we had to <laughs> write an adventure. We, I made not. six second edition characters. Um, and, uh, they had to recopy on notebook paper.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow.
4: Yeah. Oh so I, I hand wrote my side. Cause I yeah. was like, I write like a kindergartner anyway. So like <laughs> you know, Sheldon's a young kid. It's probably going to be close to accurate so they can describe it. And I remember drawing like the maps, like Mike did the dungeon part and I did the town part. Because I think I designed like a little outpost, right? Yeah. Where they got the hook for the adventure. And then Mike did like the like where they go and like secret rooms in the dungeon and
3: all that. I mean, a nine-year-old genius, <laughs> this nine-year-old precocious genius. What kind of dungeon is he going to make? It's going to be this huge, sprawling thing with a bunch of math puzzles. So that's that's what it was. And I used that again, that map that I found that I drew <laughs> as a that's teenager. Amazing. Me drawing maps as a teenager is good enough for Sheldon as a nine-year-old. I think that those might line up. Um, but, uh, what was funny too, about the episode was there's only a through a few throwaway lines about what the adventure involved. Cause we see them at the very end of the adventure. We don't see the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so there's a few throwaway lines where someone says like, you don't want to kill that goblin. You don't want to steal the key. They're complaining to them about this stuff. And we're like, okay, so why wouldn't someone have killed a goblin? <laughs> why wouldn't someone have stolen, stolen a key? And why would someone else be mad about it? So we had to work out like a possible story of the adventure from that. And then, Wait,
1: that came first?
3: Well, that was in the script. Yeah. So that script
1: those lines first. of the script yeah. were already written, yeah. and then you wrote an adventure that yeah. was, So we had to make
3: something that made sense with that. Yeah. So, like, why would one character have wanted someone to steal a key, and why wouldn't they have stolen that key, and why would that be a problem? Why would one character want to kill a goblin, and the other wouldn't? Why would that be a problem? So, And so out of those two little things we got, and also the scene, there's one scene that's in the fiction of it where they're dressed in costume as their characters, and they're doing a thing. So we had those two lines in that one scene to be like, okay, so here's the adventure out of that. And uh I thought it it was I thought I think it's a good adventure. I I've been saying we we should finish it. I want I would love to publish it with as seen on young Sheldon, that, that would be really funny to me. Yeah. I, mean, I
0: know that's what I like so you guys spent all this time making this adventure that would be true to the script as well as true to a young kid making this in 1991. Yeah. But no one has seen it, right? Like no, no one not even well, the, the actors actress. probably didn't even see it, did they?
3: Chris Presumably the actor that plays young Sheldon saw it.
1: I still can't believe, though, that, I mean, I think it's, it's so, it's cool that you did that. But I also, like, I still think, why did you have to write an adventure? Like, if, like the <laughs> I, script was already written.
3: For all practical purposes, we didn't. They could have had, you know, they could have had just any kid's math homework and it would look like an adventure, you know, yeah. more close enough.
4: Because we well, there, really,
3: there weren't
0: close-ups of it or anything it there wasn't weren't like you close- see that's the why I, I talked
3: to Chris I'm like are they going to be close-ups are we going to be hearing his inner monologue as he thinks of things like what I, I think don't they know wanted the option
4: to, to have close-ups like yeah. Yeah. Oh, I if see. he okay. came up and they had to zoom in on what he was doing they didn't want to get called out with like right. that's just scribbles well <laughs> just yeah but mifs- even some, so
1: whatever. like you could have yeah. just written like a paragraph
4: but they want he wanted a genuine
3: adventure for the I know. We are I, we're all I, familiar with this.
4: Remember his daughter was wrote it first. Like I think we based it yeah. partly on some of the ideas his daughter had. Yeah, Who's he, daughter? He, Chris's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. His, oh. his, his little girl who like is into D. She like drew like a very like simple like thing. And he kind of shared with us like some of her ideas. And we're like, he was like, I love my daughter, but um <laughs>
1: <laughs> not yet. Maybe she's not quite ready for that consulting credit.
0: She's not a young, Sheldon-level, uh, precocious genius.
3: <laughs> I love my daughter. You say, sorry, honey, not yet. You got to work for that. No nepotism. Yeah, you got you
0: to have the kind of career that Violet and Mike have had in order to earn that consulting <laughs> credit.
3: I, I, you know, it, it's funny to me because in many ways, Violet and I are like at opposite ends of the spectrum or our journey or something. Because I met her when she she was... She,
4: it was my first make- C&D game that I ran at yeah. the game store ever. Yeah. Ever? Oh.
3: Ever. And I played in that game and she did a great job and I my character got to fulfill a goal that I thought he'd never got to fulfill in his life in that game. So I was like, I thought it was so cool. And then I went back, this is at Game Empire in Pasadena. And then uh, I'd go back and play and I'd see her and then we got to know each other off of that. But like she just started. I wow. started when I was eight in 1980. So like we we're completely you know, like she's She's very young and has her whole life ahead of her. I am an old person, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very it's very cool to me that like we both got together to you know to work on this because we're coming from different like even the adventure that we wrote the different parts we wrote she wrote a sensible person's adventure which is just like a lot of notes like you know like here's a map and here's some notes about what's here and I wrote a full on like AD and D formatted adventure with like you know key rooms and like box text and Things that I would have, if I were him, and that at that time, that's how I would have written this adventure. So I think it's funny looking at the two things that we wrote, like how different they are, because she's like a modern, sensible person, and uh, <laughs> I am stuck in the past. Is that
0: true? Are you Are you a modern, sensitive person, Violet?
4: I think, I think we just had different prep styles, especially like in the eras of D&D that we like grew up in, and like... So I just kind of planned it the way I prep my own adventures. And I didn't realize other people prepped so differently than me until Mike and I compared notes. And I was like, <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, fine. and you mentioned uh, Game Empire in Pasadena, which uh, we have a connection to. I was there filming something for uh, a Chelsea Handler show with Flula Borg. And you were actually there in the room while that was happening, right, Violet?
4: Yeah, I was uh, I was in my there for my Wednesday night game of DNT uh, AL at the time, and some of my friends were um, Jay Africa, and um, one of my friend's sons were like in uh, playing. Um, I assume with you at the yeah, so we were there at the same time. Um, that was uh, for the last several years my um, home game store. Um, so um, they they've store. closed, and another store has reopened in the same location. Oh. Um, but I have a lot of fond memories at Game Empire, both as a player and then a DM and an organizer. Um, it's, it's kind of been like my home base since I moved to L.A. for d and that's
0: where you had your first D&D game, right?
4: My first D&D game. I was, so it's I want to qualify it, though. So it was my first game that I ran D&D AL and mm. D&D period. But I ran Pathfinder in college for some friends. I didn't know what I was doing at all. Like, I, I, I like got a free adventure from free RPG day. And I was like, we just watched community. And I was like, I want to play D and D and I'll be the DM. And we had a really good time, but like, I know looking back that I'd like messed up a bunch of the rules, but we had fun. <laughs> um, and then I just didn't play RPGs for a long time. Cause I didn't have anyone to play with. <laughs> um, or and then yeah. yeah. And I found Game Empire, I started playing there, um, and then I was like, oh, well, I want to give back to such a wonderful event, so I'm going to DM, and I was so nervous. I remember I had, like, my little cards. Do you remember the, like, Uh little, like, I had You were very
3: organized. I thought you were a vet.
4: You knew what you are doing. It was my first time running uh, AL, and I had, like, pictures of NPCs with tents hanging over my DM screen, and I had, like, outlined what all the spells did, and... For some reason, the first adventure I got to run was one of those ones where it was very free form. It wasn't like dungeon room yeah. one, two, and three. It was like the players can do anything in this section, and I was like,
1: "No,
3: <laughs> no they cannot." It was very sandboxy in a you know very constrained sandbox, but it was great. You did a great job by the way. So that's
1: you? what. So that very first game, Mike was one of your players. Yeah, and then Mike, you said your character got to do something that you had never. Yeah, imagined they would be able to do what? Yeah, was Yeah, this
3: was back in season three of *Adventurers League*, the uh, *Princes of the Apocalypse* season. With
4: um, yeah,
3: yeah. Okay, so what was that? Elemental. It was out it?
4: of the abyss. Out of the, out of the
3: abyss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, so that's why I um, had all the NPC cards. I remember, I did that for for out of the abyss <laughs> too.
3: <laughs> and uh, I wanted to make a. I was really taken with the idea of Hillsfar being such a terrible racist place, and I really wanted to make a character that just wanted to get back at Hillsfar, like that they had gotten out and then they are coming back to get their revenge on Tor Norrthal, the, the first Lord of Hillsfar. Uh, so I was like, I know I'll be a guy who is sworn to kill that person. And I never will. And it'll take me through the whole season. Like they'll give me motivation to do stuff the whole season. Cause I'll never get to it. And in that adventure she ran, I did it as a tier one character. It came up. I was like, what? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, that's no, it was very satisfying. Um, I
4: remember the look in your eyes when I asked you to describe like how you killed him. And I think I was standing up and you were like, I pushed my dagger. And I was like, Oh, and
3: <laughs>
0: that's awesome.
3: Yeah, it was it was really uh, it was really funny to me. And I, I mention it about that character all the time. Whenever I play that character now, I always bring it up as <laughs> part of his intro to <laughs> the thing that he did. Um, but yeah, but that I never would have guessed that was Violet's first game that she DM'd uh, She's a natural. Uh, yeah, she really
0: I'm- is. And Violet, you were also a DM for the Epic during uh, D&D Live 2019, the last in-person
2: D&D oh, Live. Oh, I
4: was there. Yeah, um, I got to do, uh, it was a really good time. Um, me and my boyfriend, a lot of my friends locally, we all got to run the Epic. Uh, I printed a lot of stuff for that too. I like pictures a lot. Um, I'm a very uh, visually based person and I kind of try to take the perspective of if I was playing, what would I like the DM to do? Um, and I get very easily unfocused if I am only just listening. So my printer got worked into overdrive that night. I think <laughs> I printed and laminated things. I was up to like 4 a.m. Um,
0: Laminating.
4: Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: very organized.
4: I, I was a teacher before, too. So I had a lot of those things at home. Oh, a lot of skills transfer there, yeah. right, Shelly? Yeah.
1: I'm a Leo, actually. Oh, okay. I bet maybe you she, were close to maybe you were meant to be a Virgo. That's <laughs> the laminating's very Virgoy.
3: Violet now has a she has a table sized flat screen that she runs games on with that like the pictures oh. the backgrounds animated and stuff. There's sounds that play. It's in this nice wooden frame. It's it's
0: amazing. Wow, I've always dreamed of doing something like that. How did you how did you pull that off?
4: So okay, so before I when I used to print maps, I was using my eight by eleven printer. And I had to put together, I ran Amber Temples for some friends. And if you've seen Amber Temple map, it's ridiculously huge. Mm. And I remember I spent like three hours putting together like 25 pieces of paper for each floor. Uh, And it was a lot of work and a lot of cutting. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. So then I bought a 13 by 19 printer and that worked for a while. It would maybe take like a little bit of cutting. But at some point I was like, I can't do this cutting and pasting thing anymore, but I still want maps So I started doing research and I found someone in Florida um, who made TV cases that you could take with you. Cause I was like, if I'm going to do this, it needs to be able to go with me to conventions. Oh, wow. So I bought a 40, I think a 40 or 43 inch uh, 4k TV. I shipped it to the person in Florida. He built a case around it uh, with a metal handle. He like had these like extra things like extra wood pieces that were like circular wood pieces with like arcane runes, but they're actually also like dice in the middle. Um, and he built it all around it. And then he shipped it to me. <laughs> and that's what I use to run games at home and in game stores and conventions. Um, it's heavy. Uh, but I actually, I bought one of those uh, big uh, TV uh, carry cases so that when I, it doesn't bump into things, hopefully uh, as I go to different places.
1: You carry this thing around with you to conventions.
4: Yeah. They, so like our local convention knows, like if I'm bringing my TV, they know to put me near an outlet and not move my table. <laughs> so I can just <laughs> set it up for the day and run whatever games I'm running yeah. and then pack it up at the end. Uh, I, I do have to put a qualifier. I usually get uh, my significant other, Jesse, to carry it for me, but I can carry it myself. Uh, <laughs> and I have carried it myself. I just don't prefer to most of the time, but I care.
3: But Jesse does. Jesse enjoys carrying it. So he gets to carry it. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: What software do you use for the thing? Do you just display the maps and that's it? Or do you use one of the virtual tabletops out there?
4: So one of the things that was important to me is for it to be able to be used if I don't have internet. Our local convention is notorious for no Wi-Fi in the basement because uh, we're usually playing in the basement of the hotel <laughs> as it's fitting for d and um, So I ended up getting, I had a license for Fantasy Grounds um, and I didn't quite know how to use it yet for online, but I found out there was like an extension you could use that with like two clicks, it will blow up a map to perfectly fit the ratio of your screen. So everything's one inch. Mm. Um, so I use Fantasy Grounds to um, blow up the maps um, and then I have Sirenscape also in case I want to have sounds at the table and I just kind of put it through the TV speakers. Um, And at first I just kind of only knew how to like show images but as I've gotten to know the software I started like tracking initiative on my screen with it as well. And if I'm feeling very like I don't want to do math today then I'll also roll the like NPC stat blocks off the software if I'm just like kind of out of it and just trying to like, you know, focus on the other aspects of the game, so.
0: Nice.
1: That's so cool.
0: Man,
3: do something- you, you want to mention your Fancy Grounds AL connection?
4: Uh, I can uh, yeah, I
3: just look. I just want. I, I think Violet should get a ton of recognition. I,
4: race, I want, I want her to let her
3: talk right. all about her all her stuff because she does so much. But uh, yeah, but you have a Fancy Grounds AL thing.
4: Um, yeah. So I'm. Uh, I got hired last. Like late last summer, to be an Adventures League consultant for Fantasy Grounds, um, and I had already been using the software for a while um, before that, um, and it kind of happened. It was kind of almost like I still don't really believe how it happened, to be quite honest. It was, it it was very out of the blue. Um, I was helping a friend at San Diego Comic Con. Um, Fantasy Grounds um, was sponsoring it. Uh, for the Adventures League portion. Um, so they gave all the DMs, uh, like, ultimate licenses and, like, books to run. Um, and they, everyone needed training, though. And so since I knew how to run Fantasy Grounds, I, like, did some DM trainings. I ended up preparing a lot of the modules for the DMs so they wouldn't have to prep it themselves. They could just open it and run it in the um, on- online in the game. Um, and just kind of, like, was on call to basically help. Um, but I was just doing it because, I don't know, That's I'm, a, I'm an organizer in the local community and it's just kind of like you volunteer to do things, you help your friends, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as a result, at the end, after the convention, there was a debrief uh, with uh, Doug, who's the president of the company, and Jen, who was the marketing person at the time. Um, and my friend let me sit in. And at that time, I was like, okay, this is my chance to tell them all the things I think could help uh, improve, like, you know, getting more people to use the software. Because I like the software, but I was like, I want more people to see, like, what it can do and, like, things, you know. So I, I talked to them a lot about it. And afterwards, I was done. And I remember, Doug doesn't know this part. So I don't know if he's going to hear this. He's going to think. But <laughs> after the call was done, I looked at Jesse and I was like, you know, they should just hire me to be a consultant. Like, I could give them so many ideas about <laughs> how to do things. And I said it very off the cuff. Um, but, like, I think the next day or the day after, I got an email from Doug saying, uh, do you want to be a consultant for Accenture? Oh, my God. Wow. Way to and self-actualize. A- what? Ju- right yeah, there. you manifested <laughs> that.
0: Yeah. It's That's the amazing. Actually, the real thing is that your microphone wasn't turned off. So he's like, you know what? We should Hot do mic. that. <laughs> we should <laughs> that makes that a lot sounds, of sense that's great um, I th- I feel the same way about uh, uh, Fantasy Grounds as well as a lot of the other uh, virtual tabletops out there that like people use them but they don't know like how best to take advantage of all of the features myself included I you know think of myself as a as a pretty technically savvy guy but I some of those things are very opaque to me uh, and so having someone like yourself be able to be like okay no here's the four things that you can do to improve your game that night you know, without having to worry about you know the thirty other features that are out there, but like here's just some some good things that you can do as well as how the the software can improve to make it easier for folks running um, adventures. Like that's, I mean, you're you're doing Peller's work.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I am I, trying. Um, a lot of uh, what I do is organizing like events for FG. Um, I do a lot of DM trainings um, along with. Um, I have a few people who help, uh, who are um, kind of volunteer organizers uh, who help with the FG uh, AL Discord server. So they also do trainings. Um, we try to help support DMs at conventions, provide goodies. Um, we got to partner with Jasper's Game Day and May Days to give them things to like, you know, raffle off and r- help raise money and funds. So I, I've been very grateful and appreciative. Um, for the opportunities I've had because I've gotten to meet like a lot of amazing people doing amazing things. Um and I didn't picture that this at this point last year. So it's it's still kind of a little like whoa (laughs) when I think about it. Yeah. So this is whenever a women and
3: gaming thing comes up like on Twitter or something, I'm always like they should be talking about (laughs) Violet. Violet ought to be part (laughs) of this.
1: Now they will.
3: Yeah should
0: that's right.
1: Um I want to go back A little bit to your in store experience. And I think, Mike, you can probably speak to this too. But you, as a in your Adventurers League role, you were helping Game Empire run their events, 15 plus tables for your AL events. And you were DMing. So you don't know who's going to sit at your table. Sometimes it's going to be a nice guy like Mike, who's going to like have like this major character fulfillment moment. But I mean, you don't know who's going to sit at your table, which in every, you know, different player styles abound, different experience levels. How do you as a dungeon master manage that? I mean, just not knowing who's coming to sit at your table. You got to learn how to read that room really quickly and make sure that you're kind of appealing to multiple different player types. What's some good tips for
4: how to do that? Mike, do you want to go first?
3: Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, almost all of my fifth ed experience has been through the Adventurers League. I got really sucked in at Gen Con in 2014. I made (laughs) my first character, still play him. And, um, so I'm used to having just a random collection of people every time. I'm not used to having a, like the same group of people that I'm running for all the time. Uh, that's like a real novelty to me. I have a group that I was running adventures in Middle Earth for before the pandemic. And that was great, but that's weird. So I don't know. I try to, um, find first of all you got if there are kids you got to make the kids the focus i think that's the first thing i love running for kids and new people so if are kids or new people you got to like make their characters central to it so they feel like the story's about them or like they're really important to it um and uh i think also just try to figure out what everyone get a sense of what everyone wants out of it you know when you do character intros try to i ask them like what's your flaw or what's your you know try to get something maybe specific to the adventure too Um, and, uh, if someone's a problem, uh, you got to shut that down or get someone to come over and get rid of them. (laughs) Like, fortunately, that's, I feel like that's maybe never happened to me. Not really. Like it's never really been a problem, but if you, you know, uh, I've been at tables where it's been a problem for someone else and, you know, but I wasn't running that game. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it, – I, I don't know. I, I'm unable to run, like, a serious, serious game. Like, I, I just can't. Like, I'm always real jokey-jokey, and I don't do voices really except for the one. I do one accent, and I have to figure out every game. Who's going to have that accent? But, <laughs> um, but uh, I think
0: – What's the accent now? What, now you have to yeah, you I don't drop that anyone. bomb. It's without... like a
3: real kind of country West Virginia accent. Um, and uh, – Uh, But I can do it naturally enough that if you hadn't met me before, I feel like it sounds like my normal voice. Um, (laughs) But uh, um, I think that all of that, like just being very light about it too, works really well in a convention setting usually because everyone gets a sense that like this isn't, you know, I, I, I let them know I'm not out to get you. I'll give it inspiration for anything. I just want people to have a good time and, you know. I just want to have a fun game and like, that's it. I'm, you know, I, I have to work against myself when it comes to like, you know, I I can be a real stickler for rules. Um, I'm a Libra by the way. So there you go. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but you know, like, like finding way finding ways to say yes, you know, that old, you know, say yes or roll the dice thing, but like finding ways to be able to say yes. And um, I think that makes a big difference too, because the people you're running for oftentimes is someone you've never seen before and you're never going to see again. So that's why it's so important. I think I love running for new people. If it's their first game, that's the best because I get to be that person who runs their first game for them, who makes sure they come back, Yeah, you know, like make sure that you get hooked. Like I got hooked when I was eight, when some total stranger ran a game for me, you know, like that's, that's really important. So um, I think if you just, just center the, center the players, center the characters, and then you know, if, if you could center it on a kid, too, I think everyone, all the grown-ups will rally around the kid idea. You know, everyone's like, yeah, let's make this nine-year-old the focus of things, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's pretty easy to uh, to go along with. It's a lot different running games online, like we've been doing. Like, I've been running games for Baldwin Games, you know, their virtual d weekends and d okay. Live Celebration okay. stuff and Gen Con. Um, it's a, a pretty different experience. Uh, environment and I've had to learn all those tools like Violet did for fancy grounds, but I run on Roll Twenty. But you know, so we're I, we're ideological opposites. So alike, yet so different.
0: Yeah. Um, how does that? But, I mean, and maybe Violet, you can speak to this too. Like, how does that work in the online setting? Because I, 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 you know, I've had some experience running from conventions and and, and uh, uh, organized play, and that can be exhausting in one way because you're meeting, you know, five new people, uh, you mm-hmm. know, every. Two hours, and then having to reset, and you know, just make sure you have time for for drinking and eating uh, in between those sessions. Um, but virtually, you got to keep that energy up without having all of the, you know, the, the 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 ancillary things that can happen around the table, like you know, standing. You know, like as as you were saying, is a great way just to keep the energy up because you're standing, right? But mm-hmm. you can't do that necessarily all the time while uh, while running virtually. So yeah, what, do, what how's it been for you?
4: Um. So. I would say it depends on how much prep time I have and how much I'm like, what the event is for. Um, I've done a few of the Baldwin game weekends too. And, you know, part of that is, you know, you're, you're really encouraged to bring like your A game. So I, I, again, just kind of take the perspective of what I would like if I was the player at the table that I'm running. Mm. Um, so whenever I'm running for Baldwin games, I turn my camera on. Um, that's one of the first things the players don't have to turn their camera on, but I think just seeing my face and being able to see, like, the nuances of my expressions as I'm, like, role-playing different things or just seeing that even if, like, you know, you're having a tough combat, like, I'm smiling because I really want you to win. Like, I'm not picking on you. I think just those subtle facial cues really help. <laughs> I <laughs> so. deal
0: 700 damage to you.
4: I'm smiling, but I I'm really smiling, didn't so want it's okay. to.
0: it's just a breath weapon. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: so that, that helps. Um... I bring music if I can. Um, So I usually have like a second instance of Discord or recently I figured out how to do like a little music bot. Um, So I'll play my sirenscape or um, some like sound from other sources um, to kind of help set the mood. And I think that kind of also helps people just kind of envision where they are. Um, And then other than that, it's employing all the same things I do in person. So going kind of back to how do you juggle with, meeting a bunch of new people, one of the things I think is really important is to make sure that people understand um, that this space is a like a safe and comfortable space. And so um, in Fantasy Grounds and in Roll20, um, you can kind of set up X cards and I explain like what these are for. Like, hey, you know, I want to make sure everyone has the opportunity. If you want to take a break, I have this card. If you, if you like if you send it to me during the game, um, at some point, we'll take a five to 10 minute break. Like I'll, that that's a sign without you having to verbally tell me. Um, so I, I still try to employ the same things um, that I do in person. And I ask DMs at my events to do as well, um, just to make sure everyone is comfortable. And I think that helps set the tone of kind of both like the play, but also meta how we should be treating each other. Um, and I guess the other really important thing is making sure every player gets time to shine and I this one's kind of I think this is really important to me because I've had the experience um especially being a a woman at the table of uh trying to participate or trying to giving an idea and being dismissed um or kind of thought that like that's that's not a good idea um and so I I often will ask like in turn like what are you doing right now what are you doing right now Um, And that way I can kind of direct the spotlight, so to speak, and really make sure if someone is maybe a little more shy um, and a little more withdrawn, we can pull them in. And if someone is uh, maybe taking up more of the energy uh, and not letting others, um, I can kind of without saying, hey, can you can you stop like taking up all the (sighs) space? I can just ask the other people. So. I try to um, be intentional about making sure that everyone has a, has time and if people talk over each other or if someone's trying to tell someone else how to run something, reminding them, hey, you have your own character. Hmm. This person has their character. They get to play their character. You get to play your character. I get to play the rest of the characters.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, and Violet used to be a teacher.
0: I was, was just, just going to say, there's Strong the teacher. teacher energy.
1: Yeah. Yep. Very much so. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, Mike, you mentioned that you started playing uh, when someone played with you on A Stranger. Where, what was the setting for that? Because I think it might be pretty interesting.
3: It was. <laughs> it's an it's a old saw that I tell all the time. But um, my family and I were on a cruise to Alaska. And some kids on the ship put an AD&D game on the list of, like, ship's activities. Oh. And so I went. And they gave me a 7th Level Thief. And I died. That's all I remember of that adventure. (laughs) Um, But uh, But then I was, yeah, I was absolutely hooked. And we stopped in Juneau and we went to this little store and they were selling miniatures. So I bought two painted miniatures. I still have. And um, then went home and someone, maybe my grandparents got me the basic set, like the, you know, the first, the basic D&D set with uh, Keep on the Borderlands in it. And then um, I played that with my grandparents. I remember that weekend. Uh, All of my characters had 20s and things and they were all Lord of the Rings characters. I massively cheated and just all of my characters were also like Frodo and Legolas and stuff. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, so uh, that was, yeah, that was a a weird way to start, but it worked. So I recommend it. Um, If you can find yourself on a cruise to Alaska, which we went on, actually our family went on a cruise to Alaska a couple years ago. I was very excited to go because like, um, Great! This is what I did when I was a kid, and now I'm here with my kids, and we're gonna not play D and D because <laughs> no one's running a game of D and D on the ship. You didn't
1: put it on the ship's activity list. You could run didn't, that no, game. No,
3: no, it was like a you know, I I, I guess I could have. I, I brought some magic cards, but we didn't plan to play in that either. <laughs> How old are it was your a kids? Disastrous cruise all around, but anyway, I'll still hang on to the one from my uh, my childhood. You didn't that get sick so or anything, did you? That's my biggest
1: fear. I knew you were going to bring it up, Greg.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's Shelley's. We've, we've talked about going on the JoCo cruise, uh, but every, every time I bring it up to Shelly, she's like, mm, nope. Uh-uh.
1: I fear the norovirus. <laughs> well,
0: yeah.
1: Well. I mean,
3: <laughs> okay. I just, so I'm with Shelly on this one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> was that, is that part of why your cruise was disastrous?
3: No, no. It had oh. nothing to do with that. It's just... Um, just a lot of technical issues and that's that was pretty much it and when you're uh the good thing was they had like a kid's room like a kid's like activity place where you could just drop your kids off and they would stay there kind of all day and do stuff and do activities and play games and watch movies with other kids and whatever and you didn't feel guilty about it because your kids wanted to do it so yeah yeah it was fine um but, uh, yeah, was just, uh, just plagued by a bunch of technical problems and bad weather. And, you know, we only technically got to Alaska. We got to Ketchikan, which was like the <sighs> island of Alaska. And that was it. We couldn't go any further north. I wanted to go to Juneau and go to that <laughs> Alaska, store again and Alaska find those might. miniatures. <laughs>
1: Are those miniatures now part of the lot that you're willing to rent out to? Uh, no. You know, I didn't TV rent any miniatures movies?
3: out. If anyone should, though, it should have been Violet because she is an excellent painter. But they would have been period <gasps> cool. inappropriate. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They did have, though, for the show, they did have a bunch of old, like, Ralph Partha and Grenadier miniatures that we had to approve or disapprove um, <laughs> as being uh, okay for the show.
4: Um, and
3: then, and so, like, so, like that miniature is okay for this character, that one worked for this character. You know, I was just looking at that email, actually, where we're like, this one works for that one, and that one. Um, we awesome. also had to, they want to have a map of, speaking of the miniatures, so they want to have a map at one point with the, the, I, I, I got sorry, I got to go back. Finally, I can't believe we skipped over this part. So, I sent this huge map back right? to Young sorry, Sheldon. Then, sorry, now we're back into Young Sheldon. I'm sorry, but I sent this huge map and they just assumed it would be like a huge game board that would be out on the table at all times. So, when I send this big map, I said every one of those squares is an inch. They're like, What? <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> no, you just draw what you needed, and that's it, you know. Anyway. But I had to send them a, what that would look like with miniatures on a, like, draw a map and then put miniatures there and then labeled who the different characters were. And it's just, anyway.
0: I find that's one of the concepts that people who are not familiar with D&D is the hardest to kind of understand. They're like, it's yeah. like a board game. So why is there no board?
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's like a, they don't get like the start. There's no start. There's no end. How does it end? How do you win? <laughs> <So> <laughs> not right. It's
4: over.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's, it's never not over. It's over. Yes. We've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah.
3: I <laughs> <just keep laughs> doing. yeah we, we talked over each other so much like that where we're like, we're just talking past each other. Like, I don't understand. What's the confusion? Oh, I see. Right. You think it's a game board. It's happened so many times.
0: And then the things like level, like the fact that level means spell or dungeon level or level of your character. like I mean, that seems like, okay, that makes sense for you to be confused there. But it's never that that they're confused about. It's always this, you know, how do you play? Yeah, Yeah. that type of stuff.
3: What does it look like? And that was the thing for them. Like, we don't even know what it looks like. So what does it look like when you play this game at all?
0: Um, Um, So Violet, you... Uh, paint minis we just Shelly and I just did that for the first time uh, oh, really? with V Muse from, from uh, WizKids
4: mm-hmm. did you enjoy it?
0: I loved it
1: I really did yes much I would fully full honesty way more than I thought I would way more
4: if you're ever in LA and you want to paint I have a lot of unpainted miniatures that <laughs> 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 I can give you to paint if you want in fact Violet you have an unpainted snow speeder don't you? I, yeah, I might somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Mike asked me to paint a, a was it Star Wars thing. Yes, it's a Star um, Wars. A
3: flying ship, used he called it. My Star yeah. Wars flying ship.
4: Yeah, I, I'm I'm mostly a fantasy person. I don't do sci-fi <laughs> as much. So I was like, yeah, I'll paint your flying ship for you. And uh-huh. he gave it to me at one convention. And the next convention, he was like, it was like months later. He's like, did you finish it? I was like, uh, oh, still working on it. And that kind of happened twice. And then we had a pandemic. I do still have it. It's fine. Violet, it will be fine. painted. <laughs> I one got to day. hold it in my hands
3: for a couple minutes, right? Because you were with me when I bought it. I bought mm-hmm. it and I immediately handed it to her. So I Aww. had my hands on it for a moment, and then I gave it to Violet.
4: So I've 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 had it longer than he it's has. Okay. <laughs> <So> much longer. <laughs> a lot longer. It sounds
0: like it will be painted one day. Yeah, but yeah, fine. it was very relaxing. I didn't yeah. think how zen it would be. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people have said that to me before, and I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm not going to be like that, but. All of a sudden three hours went by, and then we ended up having this amazing uh looking miniature uh based on 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 v's teachings there, and I was yeah very much into it, so
1: yeah, yeah it was super cool Like I like she had a starting off by just doing something that like putting a different color paint on like certain spots, and it's like mm-hmm. well, I don't really know why I'm doing this, but I'm sure it'll make sense and then like you realize that that's part of the contouring or like the shadows, and mm-hmm. it just made it so much more realistic i it was I was very impressed. I thought that mine actually came out not awful.
4: It's, um, I kind of had the same experience where I thought, I don't know why anyone would want to do this. Like that was, and like one of my friends painted a lot of miniatures for me previously. And I was like, I just don't see how painting something so small can be fun. Like that sounds frustrating. And at some point I was like, I got to see what everyone, like why everyone seems to like this thing. Um, Really, at least some of my friends. So I split like a reapers learn to paint kit with my friend. And I was like, let's just do this together. And we like started watching some miniature painting videos mm. and we like broke open the kit and like each chose like a miniature and like shared the booklet back and forth. And same thing, many hours went by and I was like, this looks pretty good. <laughs> and I'm, that was fun. And I was, and the thing with me is when I get a hobby that I like, I, I don't know how to do gradual. I just go from zero to 60. So like, I backed a lot of Kickstarters for more miniatures to paint and bought like, I think I have like four different sets of paints as far as from different companies. And I got like the nicest brushes that I could. And I have like a whole, like I, I really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> And it it is really good, especially. Um, I'm someone who, um, you know, I'm I'm learning. I'm I'm currently learning how to like manage my anxiety more, and miniature painting is just a very healthy way to do that um, for me. I can see to that of turn off my thoughts for a bit. Yeah, I can see that.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. And I had that same experience with me, so I'm hoping more people. Jump into it, you know. Like I think, like it's almost like the D and D hobby in a microcosm, right? Because there's people who are like, ah, like you said, like ah, I don't understand how that would be fun. And I've heard people say that about Dungeons and Dragons too. And then you're like, oh, but then you experience it, and it is probably not what you think. And then until you have it, and I love that miniature painting is is something that you know uh, all of us. It's a similar similar thing. We're like, I don't know, I'm all in, and uh, I think yeah. we're all in on D and D. So love it. Mm-hmm. So great to talk to both of you. I love both of your stories. Mike, as you said, like the the, the different ends of like, you know, coming yeah. in in 1980 on a cruise ship in Alaska to uh, Violet playing in, in, in Pasadena <laughs> at Game Empire. Uh, and then I just love that we have this shared common language uh, to talk about uh, the hobby that we love. And, and here's to more and more conventions opening up so that we can start to see each other in person once again.
4: yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully, hopefully we'll know that when we're in the same space next time. Right? I know. That's exactly How many other places have you been in
1: together? You were meant to meet. Um, hopefully more consulting gigs come your way as well. For because yeah, you know, I'd love to see D&D portrayed on, you know, everywhere. I,
3: I think we, we wrote like a little guide for Chris, for young Sheldon. I think we did such a good job that he will never hire us again because that guide is like <laughs> everything he needs. Well, he now. might
1: need to rent your props again.
3: Yeah, maybe. It could be that. I mean, they'll get to I don't know how long the show's going to run, but look at the
1: third edition eventually, right? I I was thinking that he's going to have to eventually get to yeah. a new edition.
0: And you're like, "Wait until all of my books can come and out then for
3: that." You're going
1: to blow <laughs> their minds when you're like, "Everything that I told you about D&D is now wrong." Yeah. Oh, my you third edition books are right everything. here, so we're ready to go. <laughs> oh no, Greg's going to be your competition yeah, now. We'll send him your way, Greg.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then we'll get those sweet zids. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Now
1: you're talking the lingo. That's so LA. I love it. That's how Seattle people imitate LA people. That's
0: right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you both of you for for coming on and talking through all this fun stuff. I love that you did that work for Young Sheldon. I love all the work you're doing. Uh, you know, in the organized play space. Uh, and so are, are both of you doing virtual play weekends? Can Can someone, if they sign up for those, will they potentially get you guys? Yeah, as can DMs? they request your table?
3: Um. Yeah, I guess they can look for our names. I, I do it like every, I try to alternate months so that every month I'm not telling my wife and kids I'm going to be gone all day for, you know, it would be easier if I were gone at a convention because at least I'm out of the house. But when I right. lock myself away in this room for, you know, eight hours, it feels weirder. Um, so yeah, every every other month I, I do it. You can look for my name, I guess. How, how Have you been running them lately, Violet?
4: So I usually, I haven't been running at virtual weekends as often. Um, I'm still a DM on the the Discord server, Um, but I've been, since I've just kind of been working more on supporting DMs there, um, like I put together like a little resource packet for the FGDMs and things like trying to have a character creation server for different conventions and events. So I I mostly do like support if I can, but um, if I have a free weekend, I probably will run something um, I run in a lot of other spaces, so, like, probably you, you, you might find me um, at, uh, well, I'm going to be uh, adminning at Strategic Con's online d and section, for example. Um, I'm going to be doing uh, the mixing for the Epic uh, Twitch presentation. Oh.
3: So, Super cool. Yeah, normally you'd be able to find us both at Strategic Con if we we're meeting in person, but...
4: Yeah, that's usually where we rendezvous.
0: Soon! Yep. Soon! Um, so yeah, if people want to get in touch with uh, what you're doing on an online space, uh, you know, feel free to throw you know any of your socials or anything out there. Mike, we'll start with you uh, if people want to see what you're doing.
3: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Devlin One D E um, V L A N One. If you like uh, role playing games or leftist politics, you'll really enjoy my Twitter feed. <laughs> uh, I promise. Um, I'm not really on much else in the way of social media. I guess Discord's social media, but. You know, uh, I, I don't know. It feels weird as social media. Um, but uh, I'm on Discord, too. I guess you could look for me. I don't know. I don't know how to find me or tell you who I am on Discord. Twitter just my is
0: name, fine. I Start with Twitter. I guess. Yeah. No worries. Just- what about you, Violet?
4: Um. So I'm a young person who doesn't tweet very much, but I do have a Twitter. I made it when I was studying for the MCAT and needed updates from the AAMC. Um, <laughs> and now I'm, I'm starting to try and use it more. So uh, my Twitter is, uh, v i v i o l a y. I Um, I guess you can find me on Facebook. I'm like pretty sure that my Facebook URL is the same one. Um, and I don't know if you are, you know, if you're interested in getting convention support from Fantasy Grounds, you can also reach out to me at, uh, Violet, V-I-O-L-E-T.fer, F-E-R, at SmiteWorks.com. That's my work email, um, or if you just want to reach out for, I don't know. That's my work email. <laughs> just to say hi. Just
0: to say hi or maybe, you know, Aww. some tips and tricks that they, you could provide to them. Uh, that'd be great.
4: Perfect. Very well, cool. again,
0: thank you so much, both of you. And uh, Shelly, did you have anything else you wanted to...
3: I love you both. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for yeah. giving her that, that opportunity,
1: Grace. I, yeah, I, just, like to I appreciate up. that you both are just... Wanting to, to pay d d forward. You both have good, positive experiences, and you just want to see other people have that, too. That's Absolutely. very very kind and generous of you.
0: Including fictional characters like Young Sheldon. Oh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's Our pleasure.
0: Excellent. It has occurred, this interview.
1: It has occurred. Um, I love them and I love their friendship and I love that I think they're really going to make a little um, career out of yeah. just consulting on D&D. How fun and is that? Would
0: just rolling dice in your local game store would lead to such uh, amazing heights.
1: Yeah, I see bright futures there. I do. I do,
0: I do indeed. So, uh, we announced a whole bunch of stuff over the last couple of weeks and so we want you to check it out. And the best way to do that would be to follow us on social. There's Wizards underscore DND on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, There is tons of fun things to check out on the Facebook page. But perhaps you might want to find out what's happening in Dragon Plus, which is a wonderful app that you can download to your Android or iOS phones to get tons of information by monthly. And there is a new issue coming up, like there always is, that has tons of previews and game content that you can use. DungeonsDragons.com right. is always a good uh, way to find out more as well. And if you want to find out about D&D Live, go to g4tv.com slash d and Live. And if you want to find out about D&D Celebration, where can we send people?
1: Well, you can go to dndcelebration.com. Yeah. How easy um, is that?
0: You'll already have submitted for the Dungeon Masters Challenge if you haven't already, but there'll be more information about programming and ways to play during D&D celebration in September uh, on, that side, on that side as well. But we are all gearing up for D&D Live, and I can't wait to see more and more, I don't know, performers, famous people, how do you refer to them, uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons together?
1: I mean, uh, up, up, I would say people just like us, Greg, they are. because D&D is what unites
0: us. It binds us bread. together. It does. It does indeed. I am excited to send um, everybody who's listening to follow me on Greg Tito. I'm at uh, uh, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Oh, and Shelly.
1: I'm Shelly Moo on the Twitter and the Instagram and also at Two Old Moms on Instagram for your parenting humor. I think Get I followed there. you there.
3: You,
1: you followed me, I think, at Shelly Moo. I did. I, I noticed it yesterday. like... Greg hasn't been following me this whole time. You've I missed one of like those four posts. Yeah. Jeez. Did I've it say a... something like, hey, your really good friend Shelly's been on Instagram for two years? You should follow her.
0: <laughs> I, did, I honestly didn't know. I mean, you've been saying it here on this podcast for so long, and I just I assumed I had followed you, but now I, know. I do.
1: That's okay. Thanks for that.
0: I think there's a lot of people who are listening who do that sometimes. Plus, sometimes those social media things are weird, and like you unfollow people that you didn't know, or maybe you mispressed something. So, you know, yeah. maybe that happened. We'll Whatever. go with
1: that. Yeah, that's what happened.
0: Yeah, that, that's happened. Okay. Um, speaking of things that have happened, Drunky Two Shoes... Is I it an a, altercation?
1: Get a fight.
0: Um, with some folks who uh, were beaten down the door of the chapel, you had just cast or just uh, asked a cleric of Lothander to cast Speak With Dead upon the doppelganger that resembled your brother, Daryl Two-Shoes, uh, and didn't give you too much information but was damn creepy uh, in doing so. Yeah. Uh, but then there was knocking down on the door... But you decided to shoot out at some of them and cast burning hands I out the window. Sure did. Yes. Uh, and so it is now their turn. Um, and one of them uh, tries to uh, break down the door uh, again, despite having all this, this damage on them. Yep. They're kind of, is uh, he still on uh, fire? Yeah, the robes and stuff ha- have a little bit of um, uh, flames, but they're, 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 it's not they're like they're all ignited. Uh, the second one is not able to break down the door either, uh but the third one um bangs really hard right in the spot where the three other two other ones had done so uh and you see a uh one of the planks of the door kind of snaps in half and opens up um uh-huh. and and the hands are kind of scrabbling in trying to get the the latch. It is your turn
1: um okay, I am going to take. Some rope because I do have rope with me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm gonna tie up those hands.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> make <laughs> me a uh, dexterity check, so just roll uh d20 and just add your dexterity modifier to it. Uh, uh, uh,
1: uh, uh. are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing it digital 19, baby. 19, not, not my first knot.
0: So yeah, though there's at least uh, uh two hands trying to come in and, and grab the <laughs> latch uh to open up the door. And uh you quickly just pull out your, your rope and <laughs> tie uh, around there and pull a, a quick knot. I wouldn't say it's like would hold up um any load or anything like that, but it's yeah. definitely enough to kind of restrain uh at least two of them uh to the door. And you hear uh Growls of anger and dismay uh, as they're being trapped. They're trying to pull uh, their hands back out the door.
1: Okay. And I'm drunk. He says, What
0: do you want? Who are you? There's nothing for you here. We want you to die. Who? Uh, you don't hear a response to that, but what you do hear is, Hey, get away from there. What are you doing? Huh? And it's the voice sounds very similar. Daryl's. Shut that. And we'll finish there.
1: Oh my god, good thing I have my amulet. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The amulet of seeing doppelgangers. Right.